to turn to the Bible. Uh, recently, I've been reading a book in the Bible that we don't often look at. Maybe we're not very familiar with. But I find it interesting. I thought it would be good to uh, think about it this morning. If you'd like to see which book it is, uh, please turn with me to page 668 in the Church Bibles. Go to page 668, and there, just after the book of Proverbs, is the book of Ecclesiastes. Not a book that maybe many of us know very well. Page 668, and when we found that, uh, I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and a warning in advance, you're not going to find this reading encouraging. So if you came this morning uh, feeling bright and cheerful, we're soon going to fix that. So, Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I'm sure you're feeling better already. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labour at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains the same forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. And that's what God's word says. So I don't know what you thought of that, but uh, we got a couple of quick questions first of all. Uh, first of all, who wrote it? The writer described as the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. And really that fits King Solomon very well. So it may well be that he wrote it. If he didn't, it's probably somebody else sort of put themselves in Solomon's shoes, as it were, thinking, well, if I have Solomon's resources, uh, his wealth, uh, his, his uh, command of things, uh, what would I do to try and find something good in the world? So it's, some, it's Solomon or someone very much like him. What did he do? Well, he did some research. He studied, explored, searched for the truth by trying everything this world offers. He had the time and money to do that. Looking for something of lasting value, something worth living for. It's a bit like conducting an inquiry. You know, we have plenty of inquiries nowadays, don't we, the, the, the one to do with Boris recently. You have inquiries all the time where they, where they, they investigate, uh, uh, get to know the facts, and then reach conclusions. And this is a bit like that. He's conducted his, his inquiry, and now in this book really is about to be present his report, telling us what he's found. And uh, the way he does it, which is quite a good way to do a report, first of all, it gives us like a summary of his findings. 
Then he gives us the, the more detailed investigation that he's done. That's what we're going to do this morning and see where we end up. First of all, a summary of his findings. What does he conclude? Well, you don't have to go very far to find out. Even in verse 2 it says, everything is meaningless. Or if you've got the old King James Version, it's vanity. Everything is meaningless. And actually at the end of the book, you get the same again. You know, he says everything in the world is meaningless. We, we rush around doing all sorts of things. I rush around doing all sorts of things. Most of us do. But what do we gain from all our efforts, from all our work and planning and all the things we busy ourselves with? We come and go, but the earth remains the same. The sun rises and sets day after day. The wind blows, the streams flow. The rain comes down, it evaporates and goes back up into the cloud and comes down again. And so it goes on in this endless cycle. And for all our effort, there's nothing new under the sun. Some of the things we busy ourselves with are, are enjoyable. But none of it will last. Not even us. The day will come when we're not here anymore, when I'm not here. And the sun will go on rising and setting, the moon will go on waxing and waning, uh, the seasons will, will come and go, uh, it will still rain in Horwich. Uh, no, nothing will change when we're gone. It will just go on like that. That's his conclusion. But how did he get to that conclusion? Well, the rest of the book gives us the details of his research. In the next few chapters, he sets out to investigate every way he can think of to find happiness and fulfilment in this life. He looks at pleasure. He looks at wisdom and learning. He looks at work. He looks at wealth. And he has the resources to do it, the time and the money. Um, he, he puts himself in the position of someone like Solomon who had infinite wealth. Uh, I was reading recently about, you know, every now and then, uh, uh, you hear about people who win the, the Euro Millions Lottery. That's the biggest one of all, isn't it? Uh, not long ago, there was a, a, somebody in the UK somewhere, it w wasn't me, who, who won £111 million. Pounds. Suppose that was do, were you. What, what would you do with that money to try to find happiness and fulfilment? Just think for a minute. Uh, I must say, uh, if you won £111 million, um, as a church treasurer, I'd quite like to have a chat with you. Uh, I might be able to suggest one of few things you could do with some of your money. But the things he explores, he explores pleasures. And he concludes that pleasures are, are nice enough in their place, but they're meaningless. We certainly should enjoy them while we can, uh, whether it's uh, uh, travel, whether it's the people that we mix with and, and know and love, whether it's our, our interests, uh, whether, whether it's food, whatever it might be. There's no harm in enjoying them while they're here. But Though none of them will achieve anything that will last. Having looked at pleasures, it looks at wisdom. Some people are wise, some are foolish. But the same fate awaits all of us, whether we're wise or foolish. We die, and eventually we're forgotten. You see gravestones in the cemetery that say, you know, Worst effect that they'll never be forgotten, but <clears throat> it will be eventually because even the people who, who set up the stones will no longer be here. If you ever watch the television program, Who Do You Think You Are? You'll find there that they, they, they take a celebrity and they, they uh, um, uh, follow back a few generations and find people who have done interesting or remarkable things. Or we're obviously uh, people we might admire. 
but they're people who, who have been forgotten until the researchers uh, uh, follow their family trees back and in, in, in one sense, not, not literally, but metaphorically, dug up the ancestors, um, everyone had forgotten about them. Whatever remarkable things that they had done, we've forgotten. Uh, trace my family back, and having seen what my ancestors did, I'm quite glad that they've been forgotten, actually. But, but, uh, uh, but that's how it is. Anonymous. And if the world goes on another couple hundred years, no one will remember any of us will have been and gone. Even the wise in the world will be forgotten. How about our work? Work can take up all our time, can't it? But how many people on their deathbed with their dying wish uh, gasp, I wish, oh, I wish, I wish I spent more time in the office. No one says that, do they? Your work is in its place and it pays the bills, but that's all. Yet, and yet some people get so taken up with work, that's all they've got. And yet none of it will last. A lot of us here have retired. We're in that happy state of not having to go to work every day. And, and if you like me, you think back to the day you retired. And you had mixed feelings, maybe, if you like me. Obviously, it's great to be finishing work and now your time's your own, etc., uh, but at the same time, you know, when you're at work, you, you do things that are interesting and enjoyable. You acquire skills, uh, whether manual or, or whatever it might be, that people appreciate. It gives you a sense of, of worth, of value. Uh, people appreciate what you do. Uh, and then suddenly it's all over. And many of you probably like me will come to that position where suddenly you realise that, that the job you've been doing for many years and, and hopefully got reasonably good at will never ever do again. It all seems so important, but now it's over. We don't do it anymore. And that's what work, work is like. Um, uh, it seems so important why we're doing it, but again, once it's over, it's done. But how about wealth? The writer notes that, that, that many people are poor and oppressed, but some people are very wealthy. There are at least two problems with wealth. First of all, it doesn't satisfy. In fact, the rich man is often a lonely man. And however much he has, it doesn't satisfy. It's never enough. Like the miser to someone said, how much money do you want? And he said, just a little more. Hoping that little more might finally give us some purpose to our lives. This book of Ecclesiastes says that. In chapter 5 it says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Some of you may have heard of a novelist, Jack Higgins. He's best known for his book, The Eagle Has Landed. And he, through his writing he became very wealthy. He was able to retire to the Channel Isles. And he died on Guernsey, he's about 91 I think. With all his wealth, he was once asked if there was anything that he wished somebody had told him when he was young. And he replied, I wish when I was young, someone had told me that when you finally get to the top, there's nothing there. And people have found that, haven't they? They work for something, some position in life, or again, some wealth, whatever it is. And then when they get there, it's empty. Maybe that's one reason why some of these wealthy pop stars and such like end up taking drugs, because they've, they've got all the money and the fame and everything else, but there's something missing and they keep on looking in all the wrong places. 
And that's what life is like. So one problem with, with, with wealth is it doesn't satisfy. Because the other problem with wealth is you can't take it with you. A wealthy man died and someone asked, how much did he leave? That's a delicate question, isn't it? But, you know, how much did he leave? The answer was everything. He left everything. We can't take it with us. How much we accumulate, we leave it all behind. Again, Ecclesiastes comments on that. It says, naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labour that he can carry in his hand. Well, the better-known quote from the book of Job, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So that's his research. He's looked at all the different things, at, 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 at pleasure, at, 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 at wealth, at, at, at learning, at all the different things, and he's not found the answer. So what conclusions does he reach? Every report has conclusions. We have the sort of initial conclusion. After the first two or three chapters, he's come to one conclusion, which is that life is so meaningless that the best we can do is just to eat, drink, enjoy our work while we can, and that's, that's it, while keeping in mind it will all come to an end. None of it will last. None of it will ultimately satisfy us. Before we look on to it, look at the other conclusion, I wonder, where do we look for purpose and fulfilment? In our pleasures? In our assets? The money in the bank? The, the, the home we own? Our work? Our popularity? Our family? Where do we look for purpose and fulfilment? This book says, if you pin your hope, by all means enjoy those things, but if you pin your hopes on any of those things, they'll disappoint you looking in the wrong place. Even if you pin our hopes on people, wonderful as they are, even people sometimes disappoint us. Well, are you feeling any better yet? Not really. Um, this is all sounds so gloomy, but, but it's the truth, so we've got to face up to that, because most people live as though this isn't true, as though there is some lasting meaning in all these things, but, but there's not. None of them will last, and we won't last either. But is that all there is? With so much gloom, is there any hope in the world? Well, deep down, we think there is, because in chapter 3, the writer says, he has made everything beautiful in its time, he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. There's something in us that longs for more than all this, that longs for something that will last forever. We long for something more, and thankfully, yes, there is something more. If you've still got your Bibles open, you might like to turn to the final chapter of the book, uh, chapter 12. And chapter 12 begins with these words, Remember your Creator. Then he goes on to remind us again about how fragile life is. The next few verses contain various pictures of, of old age, 
And uh, although the impicted language, you can probably decode most of them if you, if you go through and take the time. I'm not, not going to do all that now. But uh, of old age, maybe, maybe the trembling, the stooping. It talks about the grinders, which are the teeth. Uh, I've, I've just... I went to the dentist this week and I need two more fillings and how long will the, the teeth last out? So it's all that. All the fears we have. All the unsteadiness on our feet and everything else. Life is fragile. We get old. Um, it talks about um, the, 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 the golden cord that is, that is severed. The, uh, the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken in, in verse 6. And then we return to dust. We, we, t- we go to our eternal home. But his advice is, in the middle of all this uncertainty, we're so frail, fragile, our lives can be cut off in a moment. Every day in the news you hear about people who thought they had plenty of time and suddenly it's all over. So the advice of the writer in this first verse is, remember your creator. And then he goes on to say, Fear God, reminding us in, in verse 13 that, that, uh, that uh, verse 13 and 14, that God one day will judge us all. But what's involved in remembering our Creator? And I'm nearly finished with this. You know, all through this book, for 11 chapters, the writer has been looking at all the things that we can accomplish by our wisdom and work. But the answer to all this meaninglessness, if that's a word, all the apparent futility of life, isn't in anything we can do, but in what God, our Creator, has done for us. So what has God done for us? Well, he sent his Son. He sent us Jesus. You know, this book, of course, is in the Old Testament of the Bible. One of the purposes of the Old Testament is to show us our need of Jesus. Without him, all our efforts are futile. Our, li- our lives would have been meaningless. But Jesus came. He came into this world and he conquered death when he died on the cross and rose again. Nearly every Sunday morning at this church, at some point in the service, we share communion. We do that to remember what, to remember what Jesus did for us. He, he went to the cross to save us, to pay for our sins. He died the death that we should have died. He took the punishment that should have been ours. He suffered on that cross what we should have suffered in hell forever. As we break the bread, as we will do in a few minutes now, we remember how his body was broken for us as he died an agonizing death. We drink the wine that represents his blood, which he shed as a perfect sacrifice. And in this world, which otherwise seems so meaningless, Jesus invites us, he invites you, to come to him, to say sorry for the many times we've hurt him, disobeyed him, or just plain ignored him and receive his complete forgiveness and then to commit our lives to follow him from now on to give our lives to him just as he gave his life so completely for us
and received his wonderful gift of eternal life. What the writer here longs for, eternal life. Not just making the best of these few years in this imperfect world, but being with him forever in a perfect world with no frustration, nothing that's meaningless. He invite, Jesus invites us to come. But that's a choice that only you can make. Will we remember our Creator, come to him as he invites us to and be saved? You come to him, life won't always be easy. There's a cost to following Jesus. Maybe things are called you to give up. Things are called you to start doing. To maybe sometimes suffer the fact that other people may not think well of you, may look down on you and think you're silly because you're following Jesus. But it's worth giving yourself to him, whatever the cost, when you remember what it cost Jesus when he gave his life for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that even though when we explore this world, so often we find so much that's pointless and has no future and no eternal meaning. Father, we're so grateful that you gave us Jesus, who died so we could have eternal life with you. Thank you, Lord, that you offer this to us as a free gift if we're just willing to commit ourselves to you, to ask your forgiveness, to truly listen to you and follow you from now on. Thank you you give us your Holy Spirit to help us. Lord, thank you that many of us here have already done that and we, we never want to go back because it's good to know you whatever the cost. But if any of us haven't yet, just surrender to you. Help us this morning just to come and to ask you to forgive us and to change our lives and to give us an eternal hope, an eternal future. For your name's sake. Amen. Now we're going to sing again before we, we uh, share communion. And really it's a, it's a hymn of, of, of testimony. Um, uh, where it says, I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. I, I guess most of us here can sing this uh, and very much mean it because it's true. But if, if you haven't yet come to that point, Jesus died for you. Just turn to him this morning and he will receive you. So let's, let's stand to sing, shall we? <laughs>